The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Romans 15, 8 through 13. And it doesn't really matter if it's paper or electronic. It's still the Word of God, right? Okay, this passage is really, the more I got into it, is really a rich passage. Um, there's so much contained in this small space. Through, and to go back and just review just a little bit, uh, you know, Paul has been, is trying to bring his whole epistle to an end. He's, he's probably looking, he's looking at the Romans. He's probably been in, within uh, tw- uh, 20 years of Christian ministry at this point. And he's really he's brought up a really good issue that he's he's reiterating again, but it's going to be addressed to a couple of um, specific people, which we're going to talk about here momentarily. So we've talked about the weaker brother, right? We talked about music. You know, with music, if you get past Rich Mullins, Amy Grant, Michael W. Smith, DC Talk. After that, you kind of lose me, but I still respect whatever you listen to. Even, even Lecrae, the Christian rapper that my brother likes back here. So that's, that's not a problem. The wine versus grape juice, we, um, we resolve that issue. You know, some churches go one way or the other. We do it a particular way here. All of these secondary issues we can discuss, but we do not have to divide over them. And what we're going to be looking at in this passage is a secondary issue, but it's a very important secondary issue. Um, And it's taken Paul 36 verses, really, if you study this, to get to this point of uh, 15, 8 through 13. The first 11 chapters were on how to live the Christian life. And these last chapters are challenging us to live a sound doctrine in a practical way. Very important. And Paul always, of course, the interest of the gospel is foremost in his mind and to spread the gospel, put the gospel forth. That's why he, what he's trying to do, he does not want any impasse, any slowdown because of whatever secondary issue some church may be dealing with. Uh, so that's, that's very, very important. And, and you know, so what, what I'd like you to do, and this, this is something that I've talked about with a friend here recently, sometimes, and we discussed it a little bit uh, too this morning, Sometimes we get so familiar with a passage um, that we kind of tend to gloss over it and almost read it in the context of a, some sort of a historical um, novel or something like that. But we have to remember that these are real people going through a real experience. Uh, I'm fascinated by the early church and studying it and, and the progression of the church over the ages. So 
if you can kind of think about where Paul, once we read this, is in this particular point of time, I think that will help. I don't like to word, use the word visualization in a spiritual context, but just kind of try to see, see where we are here in a moment. Now, what Paul is doing, he's addressed the weaker brother, as we mentioned, but um, he's going to shift gears at this point in time or, or pivot in this passage by directly addressing the Jewish and Gentile believers uh, because there's a, a major issue going on. Uh, and Paul, we're going to find out when we read this, and I'll try to point it out as we go through it, is that he really is using strong language, very stern language. He uses, he, he reserves his strongest uh, language in this epistle and when he gets to Galatians and the Corinthians, he, I mean, he really gets, gets on him there. But you'll see that in this that uh, there will be points in time where he, he is just, I visualize him just pointing his finger. Uh, but what he does is something uh, very smart. Of course, we know that he was highly educated, one of the most highly educated men of his time, the people he's addressing are, know that, they respect that, but they're not listening to him in total. But he, uh, he, he's just absolutely um, brilliant that um, what he will do is he'll state his position and then he's going to turn the Jewish um, believers' teachings and their heritage and everything else back onto them to make make them realize that uh, Jesus is for the Gentiles as it is for the Jews. First, and he, of course, he mentions at the very beginning of Romans that the gospels for the Jews first, but he does this through three parts. He will do it by quoting back to him their law, their prophets, and their writings are the Psalms. And then he's going to circle back to the place and the function of the Gentiles in the kingdom of God and the new covenant. Like I mentioned, Paul is addressing the Jews, and they're they're really struggling, wrestling with their their law and religious traditions. The Gentile Christians believe that those traditions and beliefs are obsolete. So you've got these two groups that are, have opposing views. Once again, on the secondary the secondary issues. They're not focusing on Christ. And through, through this, Paul is going to explain to both of them, primarily addressing the Jewish believers, but they were not seeing eye to eye at all. 
And of course, the Jews, their background, their rituals, their clothing, everything were what they were basing this all on. And the Gentiles, of course, maybe had come, some had come from no background um, at all. Some may have been, you know, worshiping pagan gods. We don't know. It doesn't really tell us that in this passage uh, directly. The Jews were somewhat more polished. Some were more educated. But the whole point of this is that they, they were worshiping under one roof, like we've come to, together today to worship corporately. So this is um, a real, real big thing. And what Paul's going to do, as we'll see, he puts forth an appeal for this unity on a much broader basis. And um, this, um, the Jewish Christians, you know, they, they're fighting hard against their temptation of religious snobbery. You know, they're walking around with their nose up in the air uh, because of their long, long history of their traditions. And um, the Gentiles tend to regard the Jews as um, the traditions as being a hangover of the religious past. We have freedom in Christ. We don't have to. Um, we don't have to do this. But th- this particular issue, uh, it, it's it's interesting. If you look, if you look further, or if you study church history, like we were um, talking about, this became this was at the center of a major conflict that happened a little bit further on in uh, the first century. I mean, it was it was a, a big deal. But Paul is going to point him back to the words of the Old Testament. Now, first of all, I'd like to there, there's one there's there's one there's a couple of words that I'm going to geek out on that I'll get a little technical on. I'll tell you about that when we get to them. And one of those is therefore. So backing up to um, verse seven, which is really a main point. In this whole passage, it um, says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So then he goes forth and he begins in verse 8. Some of you guys may have a Bible. Your, uh, the paragraph break is Christ, the hope of Jews and Gentiles. But what Paul says is, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, 
all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and him will the Gentiles hope. And then may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So let's go, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. I would ask you, Father, just to bless the people that are here. I just bless the reading of your word. I pray that I'm not distracted, that the, that the words that you want to be heard are heard. Let those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Let your word come forth in this passage and let the ones that are important just be heard by the people that need to hear them. And that would be myself included. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And I also uh, pray that we do, we're really would at the beginning of this practice what, we, uh, what we're going to learn today about this, this passage. And, um, of course, again, he is... Um, we're examining this text from the Jewish perspective, and, and, but although he, if you'll notice within this that he uses the word Gentile uh, many times. So first of all, he's going to get into the promises of the patriarchs, talking back to the Jewish believers, and then we're going to look at the promises of Scripture from our point of view. And he says, first of all, as we break it down here, for I, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And one interesting thing is um, the word for probably is the most used word by Paul through any of his epistles uh, because it always introduces his, Paul's, explanation. So he is pointing them back to the works, words of the Old Testament to show that Jesus came to fulfill the promises of the Old Testament. He, Jesus, filled the Abrahamic covenant so he's really emphasizing that to them. And we're going to kind of camp on verse 8 and, and then fill in how he does that. And then at the benediction at the end is just absolutely beautiful. Um, and like I said, he's, he does seem to really be, uh, be pointing his finger at him. I can just, I can just see that, just uh, emphasizing, trying to emphasize it from the beginning of time. You know, Christ purchase their salvation and, and Jesus accepts Jews and Christians and he and, and the promises given to the patriarchs and by giving by confirming the promises given to the patriarchs in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. 
just as Christ accepted us. It's the, exa- it's the ultimate example of what we are to follow. You know, this is, he's given the gospel throughout this. There's no loopholes. Despite our sins, openly, graciously, warmly, lovingly, we need to accept one another. Now, first of all, he gets into the writings that he's going to talk back to them. Um, and I ask that you uh, kind of pay attention to that word, therefore, and I'm going to explain that here in a second. He says, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Therefore, uh, what I've learned about this word, therefore, it's really kind of interesting. It's a literary device that he uses, and some scholars believe that it may have been used just uh, as a transition point because they didn't really have any other word at that point. But what he's doing here, uh, the scholar Sinclair Ferguson, who our team got to hear one of the speakers here a couple of weeks ago, Sinclair Ferguson states that whenever you hear the word therefore, you should ask yourself, wherefore the therefore? And that's a mouthful, right? Whenever you hear the word therefore, you should ask yourself, wherefore the therefore? In other words, this is a summary statement. And what I find interesting is we started in verse 7. He summarizes what he had spoken about previously. So now he's summarizing what he's getting ready to say, you know, because he's said it before is what I think. So in that passage, he's referring them back to Psalm 1849, for this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. It's almost word for word. Now then, what Paul's going to do is um, talk to them about their law. He's going to proceed to show them their law, and that's going to come out of Deuteronomy, as we'll see. In verse 10, he says, and again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And Deuteronomy 32, 43 says, Rejoice with him, O heavens. Bow down to him, all gods. For he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. So rejoice. Powerful word, nonstop focus by worshiping him corporately. You're going to hear me say that a few times. And then once again, he's going to refer back to the, to the writings. He says, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. Now, again, we're going to go back into the Psalm 117 one where it states praise the lord all nations extol him all peoples almost again word for word what paul is stating it says for great is his steadfast love toward us the faithfulness of the lord endures forever praise the lord now something about one psalm 117 one uh, that i found that was kind of fascinating i don't think it has any significance here, but it may. That happens to be the shortest uh, 
chapter in the entire Word of God, and it's in the dead center of the Bible now. Maybe he's doing that to try to get my attention. I don't know. Um, but Paul will go on now and support his position by, the, by um, reading from the, the prophets. And this, again, is uh, very important for us, too, as believers. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. That's coming from the prophet talking about the Gentiles, which is Isaiah 11.10, in that day the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So, I mean, he's laying it on him, right? I mean, he's just giving it right back to him and saying, come on, you know, your yes is in Christ, so we need to kind of get beyond this and worship corporately together. Now that leads us to the promises of Scripture for us here at SOBC. You know, we, we have the same Old Testament, right? We have the law, prophets, and the writings that Paul has referred to. But unlike the Jews, we have the New Testament, the gospel, and epistles, and one of which we are looking at today. Now, a real corollary verse to this has just uh, popped out at me uh, as I went through this passage. It's 2 Corinthians 1.20, where we find our yes in Christ. And that says... For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. Powerful, powerful. I mean, and um, as R.C. Sproul said, he said, all of our confidence in God's promises must come from our trust in Jesus Christ as a person, living person, whom we know and upon whom we can rely. And these Old Old Testament promises have begun to be fulfilled in Christ's first coming, right? And they're going to be consummated at his last coming. So here we find that the scriptures are uniting all people's with the promises of God's doctrine and walk, and that this has been the plan of God from the beginning of time, before he spoke and the universe left into existence. This was his plan for all people to come to a saving knowledge of Christ Jesus. It was set in place, you know, the infallible, oh my gosh, this is, Uh, so important to me, and I know to you guys too, the infallible God-breed and errant 
Word of God, and I know you use it. That's a double positive in there somewhere for you English majors. But um, it's very reassuring to know that at every turn in this book, the Jews directly. He's writing to them and writing to the Gentiles, but like many passages in Scripture, he's writing it for us. So he's challenging us to accept all people, you know, get beyond the secondary issues as we've studied throughout Romans. And this is a big challenge to me, and it's petty, the Spirit of God pushes me out to accept people who have differences from me. And that's only through the Holy Spirit can this be accomplished. That's right. That's right. We have to get under one roof. You know, we all come from different backgrounds, just as he spoke about. Southern Baptists, Presbyterian, Bible churches, uh, Catholics, charismatics thrown in there, whatever. As long as the doctrine is, is good, we, we have to come in under one roof. There's no secondary issues that we can't get beyond. You know, I can give, a, I can give examples of, of my, I, have, I would like to say my old life, my sinful life when this could happen in a church context. It could happen if you're speaking to somebody one-on-one. -on -one. But you hear somebody uh, uh, mention a particular passage or say something, and immediately it comes, came to my mind, you are wrong, you know. What are you saying? That is incorrect. It could be in a community group, whatever. I've learned to kind of keep my mouth shut over the years, so... I, I haven't done that in quite a while. But we have to keep our inner circle. People have different interpretations of the secondary issues, as we're talking about. But this church, this church has to be the most loving place in town. It, it, it just, it, I think that's what Paul's really talking, talking about. In this, we we all come from different social, economical, cultural, educational, and religious backgrounds. But um, you know, this this is not hard to understand, but it's it's hard to practice. It really is. Um, speaking from my own experience, we don't always understand those people who are dif different from us. The church is intended to be a melting pot. So as I mentioned, God stretches us at times, really stretches us, depending on different people and their person, personalities. Now, as I mentioned, um, the benediction is just um, that he gives is just uh, absolutely uh, beautiful. It meant a lot to me as I went through this passage. And what he says is, May the God of hope 
there's that word again, fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And throughout the scriptures and especially in the New Testament, the word hope is used. And I really have to stress this. This is another R.C. Sproul. You guys know I'm a big fan of. His, he states that hope is called the anchor of the soul because it gives stability to the Christian life. But hope, as it is spoken about in the Bible, is not merely a wish. I wish such and such would take place. Rather, it is that which latches on to the certainty of the promises that God has made. You know, I can hope that I get that new truck. My banker back there is not going to let me do it. Or my grandchildren may hope for new videos for Christmas or probably a whole lot more than that. But I may hope for a new vacation. But that's not what we're talking about here. And a couple of just scripture illustrations that come to mind is one that's been very important to me over the years in 1 Peter 3.15 where he instructs us to always be equipped to tell those who ask of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, an eternal hope. And even in Hebrews 3.6, which is another good passage, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast in confidence and are boasting in hope. The other word that jumps out is, uh, to me in this is peace. You know, we have... It's a turbulent world that we live in. The Lord does not want us to have this turbulation going on. He tells us that uh, he says these things to us that in him we may have peace. You know, in this world we're going to have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. He's a prince of peace. And I, ex I experienced this um, at a prayer gathering we had, a, uh, I don't know, a few weeks ago. It's... Um, it was interesting. It hadn't, I hadn't thought about it in this terms. I had not been studying this passage at that time. But, uh, you know, the hamster wheel in my head was rolling around with all the family issues, not with my spouse, but the extended family issues, work, everything that was going on. And I don't know about, about the second verse, third verse that we got through during this prayer gathering, a, a sense of calm just came over over me. It was unlike anything I had experienced in, in a while. It was, um, it was very, very calming. So, uh, just a beautiful, beautiful uh, benediction. And so in closing, wherever Caitlin is, I had to give her a 
There she is. I should have given you more time. I apologize. Please forgive me. I, I think that another um, Eugene Peterson from the message kind of paraphrases the benediction in a very beautiful way. He says, Oh, may the God of hope fill you up with joy, fill you up with peace, so that your believing lives filled with the life-giving energy of the Holy Spirit will brim over with hope, explanation point. Just unbelievable. And how else are we going to fulfill our message of the gospel and our mission here at Stone Oak Bible Church? You know, we've, we've got to take this all, all to heart. We have to be accepting of one another, uh, regardless of our backgrounds. We have to come in. I, I, I really um, so appreciate the, the statements that we have here at church. Intentionally simple, gospel-centered, well, gospel-centered, in order that we can gather, scatter, and multiply. So it is my hope this morning that Jesus blesses everybody to, in this day and that we can go together, together with the hope, the peace, the gospel that we have in Christ Jesus. And amen to that. Amen.